The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Dying words. How many of you have enjoyed the series so far? It's been so good. So good. We are looking at the seven statements that Jesus made as he was hanging from the cross. We didn't call this series last words or final words because these were not the last words of Jesus because he rose again and he said more words and he is continuing to speak to us through his word and through the Holy Spirit. But these are his dying words, these statements that he made as he was hanging from the cross. Week one, we looked at, Father, forgive them, for, we, for they know not what they are doing. We talked about radical enemy forgiveness and how we are to model that as followers of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Josh Romano did a great job. He taught on the statement, today you will be with me in paradise. And he really challenged us with these words of Jesus that even when we are going through our worst day, our worst season, that we can look over and minister and provide hope and comfort to those who are also going through their worst season or going through a trial. He reminded us of the promise of paradise that we have in Jesus. And today we're looking at the third statement. And as we do, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to read a couple of scriptures this morning from John chapter 19, kind of take you out of your comfort zone this morning, keep you on your toes, literally. And I want to really implore you, church, you're here, you showed up, so be all in. Be all in today. Would you give him your full attention? Would you give him your full devotion? Because he's worthy of it, yes? He's worthy of it. So lean in, do not check out. Let's look at these words of Jesus. It says in John 19, 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, it was John, Standing nearby, he said to his mother, here comes the dying words, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. You may be seated. Now, when we were planning out the series for the year, that's part of my job here at New Song is series planning. So back in like August, when we were planning out this Dying Word series, I assigned myself to week three. I snagged up these Dying Words of Jesus. And I don't know if it's because it says mother and I'm a mother. I don't know if it's because I kind of realized looking at all the statements that this is the one that I would tend to just kind of breeze by. Like, oh, that was a nice little gesture, Jesus loving his mom, or, or, or maybe it was because I knew that if I did snag this week and I did have to dig in and study, that I would learn something new about Jesus that made me love him even more, that I would never be able to pass by these words again and just think they're just a nice little gesture. Whatever the reasoning, probably a mixture of all three of those things, I'm so glad that I chose these words because they have forever marked me. I'll never be able to just skim by them again. And I pray the same is true for you as you leave here today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for Jesus. Jesus over everything. I thank you that he really did die on the cross, that he really did say these words. He really did rise again. He's alive in us. 
I thank you that his word is alive. It is speaking to us. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that it would pierce our souls, pierce our minds, our thoughts today. I pray that we would leave here differently than we came in, Lord. I pray that we would absorb this word so much so that we can't help but to act on it, that we would just have to act. It would be like fire in our bones. We have to act. We have to be doers of this word. May we absorb it so deeply in our bones, in our spirit, in our mind, Lord. Speak to us. We are listening. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So this is a really unique statement as you look at all the statements from Jesus on the cross because it's the only statement that he made to this faithful band of disciples that was with him at the crucifixion. The other words that Jesus said were addressed to God or they were addressed to the man that was hanging next to him on the cross. But these words were to this few faithful followers standing by the cross. Among those listed are Mary, his mom, Salome, his aunt, Mary Magdalene, and John, the disciple that Jesus loved. And John speaks directly to, or Jesus speaks directly to Mary and says, woman, behold your son. And then he speaks directly to John and says, behold your mother. Now we're going to get into those statements in part two of this message, but during part one, it's a two-parter, part one of this message, uh, we're going to look at these faithful followers of Jesus, the ones who stayed with him to the bitter end. I love how verse 19, we just read it. I love how it starts. But, but standing by the cross of Jesus. Verse 18 tells us what the Roman soldiers were doing. They were gambling for the clothes of Jesus. And then verse 19, it says, but standing by the cross of Jesus were these faithful followers, faithful to the end. Everyone else scattered. Everyone. If you were looking at your Being Transformed journal reading yesterday, we read about Peter. Peter who vehemently said, I will never leave you. I will never deny you. I will die before I deny you. But he's not here standing by the cross. Everyone abandoned him. Peter, who in the Garden of Gethsemane had the audacity to cut off an armed guard's ear, Where was he now? He was not with Jesus. Everyone else scattered. John 19, 25 is one of the saddest verses to me. It says, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. These disciples that he had poured into the last three years, they just fled. But the Marys and the Salome and John were found standing by the cross. But standing by the cross the cross. They were near by the cross. They were so near to the cross that Jesus could directly address them. They were so near to the cross that they could hear the labored breathing as Jesus suffered on the cross. They were so near to the cross that they could hear him talking to his father, pleading with his father. They were so near to the cross that they could hear him offering compassion to the man that was dying next to him. They were so near to the cross that as drops of blood fell to the ground, perhaps it spattered their clothes. They were near to the cross. They were standing by the cross. Now these faithful few knew that they were exposing themselves to real danger. This crowd was fickle. 
They were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They could turn on them at any moment. This was a dangerous situation to be in. But they knew that they were not only exposing themselves to danger, but they were exposing themselves to great heartache, to immense pain, to serious suffering. But they stayed by the cross. Imagine Mary Magdalene with me in this moment. Mary standing by the cross. She knew that she knew that she knew that this was the Christ, that this was the Messiah. This innocent man hanging, being tortured, humiliated, mocked the soldiers right next to her, gambling over his clothes. This man set her free from seven demons. Without this man, she didn't have a life worth living and she's watching him endure this suffering. Last week, we took the kids to Branson for spring break and we saw the Jesus show at the Sight and Sound Theater, which is fantastic. Like it was absolutely incredible. And I loved driving into Branson and seeing the big billboards that said, live on stage, Jesus. (laughs) It was fantastic. At intermission, my daughter, Sunny and Bo, Sonny, the little one, was saying, I don't want to see the crucifixion. I don't want to see the crucifixion. And Bo saying, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle it. But sure enough, we go in after intermission, and this actor portraying Jesus is hanging on the cross, and my girls are just weeping. They're just crying in my lap. Mary Magdalene is not watching an actor portray Jesus. She is watching the Christ be crucified. And she knew she was going to have to deal with the most gut-wrenching pain she'd ever experienced, but she did not shy away from suffering. She put herself at the foot of the cross. She didn't run away when it became too hard, too gory, too frightening, too scary. She was right there by the cross, perhaps holding the hand of the mother of Jesus, Mary. Now, we don't have to imagine what Mary was feeling at the cross because Simeon prophesied this moment. He told us what it was going to be like for Mary to be at the cross at Jesus's dedication in the temple. Luke 2, 34 through 35 says, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Can you imagine hearing that at your child's dedication? Like imagine next child dedication, I think it's Mother's Day, we've got all the babies lined up, the child, the children, we're praying over them, praying over the parents, hold them up like Simba, you're the head and not the tail, that whole thing. And then I look down to a mom at the end of the stage and I say, mom, a soul's going to pierce through your own soul also, and many thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. That lady is going to turn tail and run. <laughs> She's never coming back to New Song again. But this happened at the dedication of Jesus. Simeon says, Mary, a sword's going to pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What is he talking about? What does this mean? It means that Mary's going to be at the cross. And as she suffers at the cross, 
as people watch her watching Jesus, as they watch her suffer, share in the sufferings of Jesus, they will see what Simeon saw by the Spirit. They will see this sword of sorrow and loss pierce through her soul as they watch her stay, as they watch her weep, weeping as she remembers all these moments, all these flashbacks, being the mother of Jesus, the moment that the angel appeared to her and told her that she was going to have the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us, the moment when she's in the manger alone there, wrapping this baby in swaddling clothes, the moment where the shepherds come in and declare what the angels has said over Jesus, the moment when she finds him in the temple, blowing the minds of all the greatest rabbis, the moment when he turned water into wine. She's flashing back. She's remembering all these things. They're watching him watch. They're watching her watch him and weep. Watching her not put up a fight because she knows what has to be done. Watching her stand by the cross and suffer and their thoughts are being revealed. The hearts of many thoughts will be revealed. Kenneth Bailey writes, around the cross, there flows a river of compromise Everyone around is strangely exposed. Around the cross, there flows a river of compromise, and everybody around is strangely exposed. As we get to the crucifixion in our Being Transformed journals this week, look for this. You'll be able to see hearts and minds exposed. The disciples believe, but in fear they run away. The high priest is so interested in protecting the temple that he has made an idol that he is willing to participate in the death of an innocent man. The soldiers obey orders, even though those orders violated Roman justice. So we see their injustice exposed. Pilate wanted to keep his job. He knew what he was doing was wrong, but he didn't think his career could withstand another defeat. Pilate, his selfishness, his people-pleasing is exposed. The thoughts of many were revealed by the suffering of the cross, and Mary standing by the cross, participates in the suffering, and she participates in the exposing of these thoughts. The faithful few did not have to stay at the cross. They were not under arrest. They could have gone at any moment. They did not have to stay, but they chose not to compromise. Like all the other characters in the narrative, they chose to remain. They chose to be near they chose to be at the foot of the cross. They chose to enter into the suffering of Jesus. And the prophecy of Mary is fulfilled. A soul does indeed pierce her soul. And the thoughts of many hearts are revealed. And we see what Jesus had to come and redeem. This is a beautiful picture of discipleship. Standing by the cross. But standing by the cross, being near the cross so near that you are willing to share in Christ's sufferings. Paul writes about the sufferings and sharing in the sufferings of Jesus in a lot of his letters to a lot of the different churches. And in Philippians 3, he talks about his life before he encountered Jesus, when he was Saul, before he encountered Jesus on the way to Damascus. He talks about his life, his pedigree, his identity, all that he was working for, his credentials, his resume, his impressive background. He lists some things out. A legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day. Apparently that was better than being circumcised on the seventh or ninth day. The eighth day. 
an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book, separate from those embracing a less rigorous kind of Judaism. But after he met Jesus, he realizes that all of his great accomplishments, everything that his identity was wrapped up in, everything that he relied on, clung to, trusted in, his pedigree, his eliteness, his works, his self-righteousness, that he was going to have to count it all as a loss. He was going to have to suffer the loss of everything that he had been hanging his hat on, everything that he'd been striving for and working for. He was going to have to count it all as a loss. He was going to have to suffer a loss. How does he feel about this? Let's see. In Philippians 3, 7 through 11, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Everything, everything that was important and of value to him, now he's counting it all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He seems pretty excited about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. The faithful few at the cross, the Marys, John, and then later Paul, they show us what it looks like to share in Christ's sufferings. They counted their feelings their emotions, their pain, their comfort, their, their, their pedigree, their prosperity, everything, everything. They counted it as rubbish in order that they may gain Christ and be found in him. John was the only one out of the 12 that got to experience this insanely intimate moment with Jesus. You know what they call Jesus? Or you know what they call John? The apostle of love. When you read in his writings, the book of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation, we just see the love of Christ. It's all he talked about is a love of Christ because he got to experience that intimacy with Jesus because he was willing, unlike the other disciples, to take everything that they were holding on to, their security, life itself, and saying, doesn't matter. I count it all as rubbish if I can get up close to the cross and share in the sufferings with Jesus. I'll do it. The intimacy with him is worth it. The intimacy with him is worth it, church. For Christ's sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. How are we doing with that? Are you holding on to some things? Maybe it's your preferences. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your pride. You're holding on to this thing and you're, you can see Jesus and he's at a distance and you're kind of satisfied with that because you don't want to let go of this thing. You don't want to suffer the loss of this thing that you're still clinging to, relying on, trusting in. Maybe it's your dignity that you're clinging to. Your dignity, like I could never clap, raise my hands, open my mouth, dance before the Lord. I'm a business lady and I'm a high-powered attorney and 
What if one of my clients comes in here and sees me dancing around? They're going to think I'm a fool. Or, or I can't raise my hands in worship because that cute boy over there may think I'm like a, a crazy Jesus freak. You're holding on to this, this, this little dignity. Listen, throw it away. It's rubbish. It's yesterday's, it's yesterday's excrement. It's a waste for knowing Christ. There's a passing worth of knowing Christ. It's not worth it to hold on to that. Suffer with Christ. Listen, suffering with Christ is not about being sick and starving. It's not about irritations that we face in life. Suffering with Christ is about saying, I am going to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my strength, with all of my might, with all of my soul, regardless of what it costs me. I will suffer the loss of all things if it puts me at the cross, if it puts me near the cross. I will share in his sufferings because the surpassing worth of knowing him is better than any of that stuff. I will gladly suffer the loss if it means that I can be closer and more intimate and know him more. We've got to suffer with him. Whatever it costs, it's worth it. It's worth it. I'll suffer the loss to be by the Christ. I'll stay to the bitter end. I will not walk away, no matter what it costs me. We want to help people know God here, right? We can help people know God like Mary and like John when they see us staying to the bitter end, not giving in, not compromising, but staying with the Christ, staying near the cross, picking up our cross and following him no matter what it costs us. You don't take that, you don't close that business deal because you're not going to compromise. Somebody sees that. They see you suffering that loss of income, suffering the loss of influence. They see you doing that, staying to the end. And you know what it does? It reveals their heart. It reveals the thoughts of their heart. And they begin to see none of this really matters. It's following Jesus. It's being close to the cross that matters. You want to help people know God be like the faithful few that were standing by the cross of Jesus. Part two. You ready? Let's get into the statements. All right. John 19 says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, I started the series talking about how forgiveness was on the forefront of Jesus' mind while he was hanging on the cross. These statements tell us that family was also on the mind of Jesus as he is hanging from the cross, but not just any family, a new kind of family, a family unlike any other family that had ever been seen before, a family that Jesus hinted at throughout different times of his ministry, a family that went beyond biology a family that anybody could be engrafted into so long as they would believe in Jesus, accept Jesus, and obey Jesus. Now, a lot of scholars believe that Joseph, Mary's husband, Jesus' earthly father figure, that he was dead when Jesus was going to the cross. And that would mean that Jesus, being the oldest son in a Jewish family, he was the caregiver for his widowed mother, Mary. So it's not out of the norm for Jesus in this moment to be responsible, to be a decent human being, and to place Mary in the care 
of somebody else, like to, to, put, to make sure that she's going to be taken care of. Because yes, he's going to come back, but then he's going to leave again. He's going to ascend into heaven. And he wanted somebody to look after his mother. Now, what is out of the norm is that he didn't choose one of his biological brothers. He didn't choose Jude or James. He chose John. Now, some people say that John was the cousin of Jesus, which there's a lot of evidence that points to that. But still, you would not put the, the, the care of your widowed mother into a cousin when there were able-bodied brothers around to care for their own mother. John was the youngest of all disciples. He was probably 24 at this time. Why did Jesus choose him? Jesus wasn't delirious. We talked about this in week one. He's not like in some crazy state of shock where he's not thinking straight. He doesn't have too much blood or too much sweat in his eyes that when he's looking down, he mistakes John for Jude. This isn't one of those like baby mix-up stories that we hear about where like a mom leaves the hospital with a baby that's not hers. <gasps> Jesus did not send Mary home with the wrong son. Not a baby mix-up, not a son mix-up. He knows exactly what he's doing and exactly who he's talking to when he says, John, behold your mother, Mary, behold your son. Jesus is making a bold statement here. He's actually reiterating a bold statement. Look at this with me in Matthew 12. Matthew 12, turn there. Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50. We're talking about a new kind of family, right? A new family that Jesus inaugurated, a family not limited to DNA testing. Look at this. While Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, the man that said, hey, your family wants to talk to you. He replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. I love this text. This is one that's really fun to imagine in your head. So do this with me, okay? Jesus is in this room. He's talking, he's teaching, he's doing his thing. This room is full of disciples and his family is outside. They're wanting to talk to Jesus. So they send in this little messenger. And I imagine in my head the messenger he looks like LeFou from Beauty and the Beast, Gaston's little sidekick. So imagine with me, LeFou going into this room of people and tapping on Jesus and saying, Jesus, sir, your family is outside and they have something that they would like to say to you. And Jesus looks at LeFou and says, who are my mother and brothers? And LeFou being a little taken aback, little dumbstruck, little, maybe he's got like finding Dory syndrome, short-term memory loss. He takes out his phone. He's like, James and Jude, your brothers. Jesus just continues to stare blankly at him. So then he pulls out his nativity snow globe. <laughs> he waits for the snow to settle. Mary, you remember Mary, Jesus? And then Jesus just cuts to the chase. He says, right here, these disciples who do the will of my Father in heaven, these are my mother and my brother and my sisters. And I imagine LeFou at this point is kind of slowly, awkwardly <laughs> leaving the situation, not knowing how to respond, walks outside. Jesus' family sees him and says, well, is he coming? No. Did you tell him that his family was out here? His family. It's his family. We want to talk to him. 
yeah, I, I told him, I showed him the pictures, I told him it was you guys, but he said that his family were there in the room, that it was those who do the will of his father in heaven that are his mothers and brother and sisters. You know where there were some siblings that stormed off, like in a huff, in a tizzy, went to their therapist the next week and said, you're never going to believe what my brother did. And the therapist was probably like, yeah, he sounds toxic. You should probably, should probably cut that brother off. But I imagine that Mary did the same thing that she did the night that Jesus was born. I imagine she pondered. She pondered these things in her heart. She kept these things in her heart. We know she wasn't offended because she's there at the cross. She kept these things in her heart, these beautiful words, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Not whoever grew up in the same household as me. Not whoever's in my family tree. Not whoever celebrates Purim or Passover or who has been circumcised, not whoever knows the first five books of the Bible, memorized the Torah, not whoever has the lineage of Esther or Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, not those who have ancestors who crossed the Red Sea. No, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my family. This is a radical thing that Jesus is declaring. Whoever does the will of my Father, regardless of their DNA, their culture, their color, their tribe, their creed, their tongue, the family of God transcends earthly familial criteria. It transcends it. So now John is the son of Mary, and Mary is the mother of John. They were family, those who were by the cross doing the will of the Father. This is why Jesus chose John and not Jude or James. Jude or James had not believed into him yet. They wouldn't believe, and James wouldn't believe into Jesus until after the resurrection. So he would rather, he, he saw John more like a brother than he saw his own biological brother like a brother. They were family. They were connected by spirit. This is why he chose John over Jude or James or any of the other brothers. Jesus said these words to Mary and directly to John, but he's saying them to us today to church. Behold your family. Behold the family of God. Maybe when you hear that word family, like it stirs up some unpleasant emotions. Maybe you come from a dysfunctional family who doesn't. Maybe you, um, you saw through COVID, through the pandemic, like the bond that your family had just dissipate. There was some strife that's never been fixed. Maybe your dad wasn't around. Maybe your dad was super strict. Maybe your mom demanded perfection. Maybe you haven't talked to your sister in years. Maybe your kids are away from the Lord and they want nothing to do with you. Maybe one of your kids is undergoing like a transgender sex change. Maybe you lost your parents. Maybe you've lost a child. Family it just doesn't sit well with you, that word family. And so you avoid family, including the family of God. But listen, the family is the will of God. The family of God is God's yeah. will. I know it can be messy. I know it can be messy. The Bible shows us that. We know Adam and Eve, that was a mess. Cain killed Abel. Noah, his sons found him passed out, drunk, 
naked. Sarah had her husband, Abraham, sleep with her assistant. Jacob swindled Esau's birthright. Joseph's dad's, or dad played favorites, and his brothers sold him into slavery. You're mad because your brother won't let you see his kids because you're not vaccinated? <laughs> his brother sold him into slavery. David had an affair and committed murder to cover it up. And Solomon was a sex addict with a thousand wives. Family can be messy. I get it. I get that sometimes we feel more like family at Olive Garden than we do when we are with our own flesh and blood. We don't really want anything to do with family sometimes. It's like we put our guard up, but it, God wanted a family. He wanted a human family. This was God's plan for us. This is God's will for his children. It's family. Look at this with me in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus. In love, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The purpose of his will, this is his will. Family is his will. The plan all along was for God to adopt to himself sons and daughters through Christ Jesus. Notice that it says, yes, that's exciting. Notice that it says in love, he predestined this adoption plan not out of obligation, but in love. He predestined the family of God, a family that transcends bloodlines, a family that shares something stronger than blood, a family that shares spirit. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We've received the spirit of adoption. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is talking about family and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, Mary, John, Paul, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of adoption? This got me so excited this week. Like, yes, he's the helper. Yes, he's the comforter. And yes, we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us, but we rarely think about the Holy Spirit as the spirit of adoption that allows us to cry, Abba, that allows us to cry, Father. We share spirit. We need to listen. We need to hear the person sitting next to us. We need to hear the spirit of adoption crying out those same words from them, Abba, Father. So we're not in here as strangers, but we look around and say, oh, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. We got the same Father. We are family. This is the family of God. 
We've been adopted into a new family. And adoption, when we're talking about it, how Paul talks about it, in Rome, it's different than we understand adoption in Western civilization. Under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son lost all rights in his old family and gained all new rights in his new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out. Generational curses, don't buy into it. Don't, don't receive that. You've been adopted into a new family, completely wiped out, all debts being canceled with nothing from his past counting against him anymore. The family of God is beautiful. The family of God is incredible. I want you to, to let this hit you like it hasn't hit you in a while. Jesus is your brother. Jesus is your brother. God wanted a family. Jesus was on board with that. He wasn't like, oh, now I'm going to have to share my dad with all these people. <laughs> he was on board with it. You know what he called the disciples for the first time ever after the resurrection? Brothers. Wow. He was excited about brothers, about the family of God. It says that he was all about, in Hebrews 2, it was all about, he was all about bringing many sons to glory. It was fitting for him. It says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us family, our father. Jesus says, pray like this, our father. You know why? So that we can look around and we can hear our siblings, our brothers and sisters in Christ and be like, yeah, we're a family. It's not just me here doing my own thing. Our Father in heaven. Ephesians 2.18 says, we are members of the household of God. We got to get excited about that. I was at Barnes and Noble last week and the, the lady at the checkout was like in her Gryffindor, like house of Gryffindor stuff from Harry Potter. And the guy checking out was totally geeking out and they're talking about the different houses. If only Christians would be that excited and geeked out about being members of the household of God, the household of God, that we are part of the royal family. I don't care what kind of household you grew up in. I don't care who your earthly father is. If you have been born again, if you have been regenerated, if it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you, then we're family. We're family. We share something more than blood. We share spirit. What can we do? Imagine what we can do when we really begin to grasp this revelation. If we would listen to these cries of Jesus from the cross, I think two things. We would stop caring just about like our own flesh and blood. Yeah. I think the church has gotten so focused on the message of family that we think that that means like, we just got to care about me, my husband, and my three kids, like party of five. As long as we're good and my tribe is good, we've kind of isolated ourselves. Somebody was talking to me the other night, or last night, they got saved in the 70s and they were like, Man, I remember we would just call everybody brother and sister. Like, how you doing, sister? That's not a thing anymore. It's just us and our little families. And as long as the family unit is strong, that's good. We want the family unit to be strong. We need the family unit to be strong. But God's looking at a bigger picture here, a picture that transcends bloodlines. So there's that. And then the other thing that happens is we can stop mourning the loss of, of, of things that we didn't have. The dad we didn't have growing up, the mom we didn't have growing up, the brother I never had, the sister I never had, we can stop mourning that loss 
and we can start enjoying and beholding the family of God that is stronger than blood. We share spirit, the spirit of adoption, Abba, Father. This is exciting. The family of God is exciting. Okay, Jesus says we have to behold. Behold your son, behold your mother. Somebody say behold. behold. We've talked about this word before. I talked about it a, a long time at Blocks Conference and how if we want to be transformed into the image of Jesus, we have to behold the glory of the Lord and how so many Christians are disinterested, distracted, too busy to behold the glory of the Lord. Like we will behold TikTok and Reels and Instagram and the news and shoes and sports and March Madness, and we will behold all of it, study it, make brackets, invest in it, behold it but we will not behold the Lord. And you know, what happens is we, we're not transformed to look more and more like Jesus. We're transformed to look more and more like the world. We have to behold. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18 says, and we all with unveiled face, you, the veil has been lifted. It's not like it, it, that part's been done. Now it's on us to behold the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And we talked about at Blocks Conference how behold is more than a casual look. It's more than a casual look. It means to make a careful study. It means to fix the eyes upon. It means to see with attention and to observe with care. This is a weighty word, behold. We know we have to behold Jesus. And here, Jesus uses this word twice. In his dying words, as he's weighing every words, he says it twice, behold, your mother, behold your son. He's saying, woman, ma'am, make a careful study of your son. Gaze intently at John. He could have said like, Mary, John, John, Mary. He said, behold, fix your eyes on John. See him with attention, observe him with care. And he said the same thing to Mary, John, Behold your mother. Make a careful study of her. Fix your eyes on her. See her with attention and observe her with care. He's saying the same thing to us today, church. Behold. Behold your spiritual family. Behold your spiritual sons, your spiritual siblings, your spiritual daughters, your spiritual mom and dad. I believe today that he's wanting us to catch a heart for the family of God, not community. I'm not talking about small groups. That's great. We're great at community. Community is important, but I'm talking about something that's beyond community. I'm talking about family, family. He's wanting us to catch his heart for family. I believe that he is wanting to place the lonely in families. I believe that he's wanting to give those with broken earthly relationships, spiritual families that redeem that which was lost. But we have a part to play. And it's the same part that we have to play in transformation. It's beholding. We have to behold. We can't be too distracted, too disinterested, too self-absorbed, too coming in these doors and just thinking about what we're gonna get out of this service. We can't just be walking around hoping that we can find some friends to do life with. That's great. We want that for you. But we need to be walking through these doors thinking, today I need to behold 
the family of God. To really notice what God wants me to notice, to see with attention and observe with care. I ask the Holy Spirit to just break it down, like make this practical, show me how we do this. And this is what he showed me. He says, behold the newlywed couple. Don't just attend their wedding, but behold them. See them with attention, observe them with care, invite them to your home, invite them to dinner, invest in their relationship, model for them what a Christ-centered marriage looks like. They've never seen it before. They come from failed marriages and they're scared to death that they're gonna repeat history. So see your younger siblings, see them, you share spirit, hear them crying out, Abba Father, you're crying out, Abba Father, same father. See those siblings and invest with them. He says, behold the first generation Christian couple, the one that are raising kids without any grandparents around. Observe that they are lacking that grandparent support and you be that spiritual grandparent. You go to the basketball games, you go to the t-ball games, you comment and like, like every picture of that kid that they post like a grandparent does. Be that spiritual grandparent. Be the single mom or behold the single mom, the one that's doing it all alone, making it look easy. That's your sister. That's your sister. That little boy is your nephew. That little girl is your niece. Behold her. Don't look past her. Behold her. Behold the family that's new in town. Behold the person that you need to ask for advice. You notice it's, it's two way. Jesus didn't just say, behold your mother. He said, behold your mother, behold your son. There's people that, that you see as a spiritual mother and, and you know she's got some insight on raising toddlers and you're waiting for her to just come offer you advice. She's not going to. You gotta solicit the advice. She wants to, she sees it, but she doesn't wanna cross that boundary. You cross the boundary. So will you help me? I behold you, I see you, I observe with care what you're, how you raised your kids and I want help raising my kids. Would you help me? Behold the spiritual family of God. Don't be too distracted, too busy. And for those of you who are missing family, missing that bond, mourning something that you've lost, feel that you got gypped, keep believing, keep praying, seeking, asking, knocking for those lost loved ones that are your flesh and blood. But Jesus says to you what he said to the messenger, who is my family? Who is your family? It's the one doing the will of the Father, the one at the foot of the cross. Don't get so focused on those who are away from God and you're missing and wishing and hoping that they would get it together, keep praying, keep hoping. But in the meantime, he says, this is your family. Those who are doing the will of your Father. Would you stand to your feet? The family of God is beautiful. I wanna invite our altar ministry team to come forward at this time. And I, and I want you to hear the call for today and the call for every weekend. It's behold your family, but don't just behold it. Do something about it like John. It says that hour, from that hour, John took Mary into his home. He was not playing around. He was like, okay, Mary, come with me. 
Come to my house. Mom, come on. Let's go. Send for her things, but she's coming with me. This is now my mother. He did something about it. Behold the family of God, church, and do something about it. Do something about it. This is challenging for me. The Lord's been dealing with me, me this week. I love my family of five so much that I have, I have missed beholding spiritual daughters, sisters, brothers in the faith, the family of God. Behold him and do something about it. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.